This week on The Native Immigrants, we are humbled and privileged to be joined by a very, very special guest, none other than a legendary pioneer of the British Asian music scene, Bali Sagu. Listen in to the second half of the show as we discuss his new album, Next Level, as well as talk about racism, backlash, support, dream collaborations, and ask where, oh where, is Cheshire Cat today? Don't forget to follow us on our socials at the Native Immigrants Podcast on Instagram and at Native Immigrants with a single M on Twitter. The Native Immigrants from the building, hit the music. And welcome to another episode of the Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Brackus, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hello. Excitement is building in the air, fam. Y- yes. Why are you looking at me with such like a disgruntled face? And excitement for the, just our show, just the amazingness of our show. The amazingness of this particular show, well, the yes. doofus. This is really epic. This is an epic, epic episode of the Native Immigrants. In a slew of epic episodes that we are now accustomed to giving our wonderful audience. No point tooting our horns, but why don't we just toot it right now? Toot, 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 because we have legend. We have a legend on this show. We were lucky enough to be joined by some awesome legends in season three of our podcast, uh, but that's old news. That's the past. That's last year, Brabe. Brabe? Brabe. Last, <laughs> that's last year, Brabe. She's my Brabe. Brabe, that's love when you were No, it's so 2020. It is Brabe, yeah. It is, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Look, Brabes, all right? Okay. Oh, you're not going to let it go now. Brabes, your Brabes is going to be like, it's going to run now for the rest of the show. Oh my God, it's like Babes and Brabe. Yeah. <laughs> Brabes. <laughs> So basically, if for those day one listeners of the Native Immigrants will have remembered uh, all the way back in season one. Oh no, not this. Yeah, you were my uh, my best friend and my lover. So you were my brother, right? <laughs> what do you mean? So you were my brother for life. But now we've updated this. <laughs> you are my braves. So, like, so what are you, what are all our lovely listeners doing for all their braves out there this weekend? <laughs> Show your brave you love them by giving them some ample loving. That's it. Look at that. That's a good rhyme. Um, but yeah, uh, to all the braves that are listening in right now. He rhymed love with love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it. rap these days. <laughs> Everyone just rhymes the same word with the same word. That's, you know, I don't get it. Anyway, I veer off. You sound old. Um, but anyway, shout out to all the Brabes out there. Make sure you're having a Brabelicious weekend with all your Brabes. But yeah, we uh, were joined by some amazing guests last year. That is the past. That's so 2020. 2021, season four, begins with a bang. Because we have the legendary musical pioneer of the British Asian community joining us. None other than Bali Sagu. Oh my God. The legend, 
BS, Balisa Gu, is joining us on this show. Like genuinely, genuinely, just one of the greatest. I mean, pretty much, yeah. He's he's in the top five dead or alive, you know. Just his tapes or the soundtrack of my brother driving me to school. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what it reminds me of, just those days. Yeah, defo, defo. You know, we had Apache on last year's show and that was an amazing look for us. And you got to put Bali in that same bracket yeah. um, for longevity of the career, the diversity of his music, um, trend setting, you know, a made way of fusing British and Asian together in such comfortability and such like a, a unique sound that was very much Bali Segu of the early 90s. The early 90s encompassed basically his sound across all our airwaves. Yeah. Again, another one, when I, I said this about Apache as well, but Bali Sagu, on top of the pops, yeah. is one of my like biggest memories of seeing someone brown on TV yes, and being so excited because I was obsessed with top of the pops and smash hits and all that and seeing yep. and just seeing brown people in them yeah. was like a major thing. So to see him on on stage, on top of the pops was like one of my favourite childhood memories. Yeah, and I think also because it was creating music that was our music and Asian music that transcended our audiences into the much more mainstream appeal. Yeah. And that was a massive thing because it was like, right, we're finally being accepted almost in a way. Obviously and, it peaked early in that time. And also fusing those two sounds and kind of having, you know, like hindi or punjabi vocals with a, a with a kind of a hip-hop beat or whatever yeah. that we know it seems really old hat now but in those days yeah, yeah. it was like radical totally. it was completely new and he was one of the pioneers of that 100 percent. and it, it's very very important in british asian music and no, the history definitely, of it definitely um and you know it's so many massive albums we're talking about Wham Bam and Essential Raga. It's like, you know, all those, like we talk about, that, that time period is, is such a, I don't know, it, it's it's a like a real identity moment for us all, everyone yeah. of that generation. Absolutely. You know? um, and so we're lucky enough to be joined by the great man in the second half of this show where he talks about his new album. And now disclaimer here, mm. this was recorded a few weeks ago. It was indeed. So we talk about his forthcoming album at that point. Yes. That album is now out. Yes. And it's called Next Level. And it's out there right now across all streaming platforms. It's actually also available on CD. That's how old is school it? loving Bali Segu oh is. Oh my gosh. Yes, indeed. Is CD making a comeback like vinyl did? Uh, I mean, I hope so. I've got like thousands of CDs. Yeah, me And so too. I feel like, you know, there, there should be a time where they'll come back in fashion and they'll be worth something again one day. I mean, we've still got a CD player. Yeah, but we've still got a cassette player right there. I'm <laughs> oh looking at fam. There's you know a mean? cassette player in it as well. I'm telling you, fam. I still have all my old cassettes from back in the day. Yeah. All those albums that I bought. Yeah. yeah. Me, me the same. I think I've got that doggy style uh, Snoop Dogg that I bought from India. Basically, right? Um, you know, in some rickery down in Gandhidam. Well, um, now we have a new uh, Snoop fan in the house. Yes, Literally indeed. in our house. Yes. A little bubby who loves, loves Dr. Dre. Loves Dr. Dre, uh, loves Easy e and Ice Cube and the Snoop D-O-double-G. That's exactly what he says. Yeah. Because he has the little homie uh, ABC book. Yep. And so he's like obsessed with Dr. Dre. Yeah, he knows all rappers alphabetically now. 
um, and is able to now um, link them to numbers as well. So yeah, I, I can tell you, he's, he's a second generation rapper in the making, basically. Yes, he is. Um, so, but yeah, anyway, big up Bali Sagu, yes. who will be joining us in the second half of this show. Make sure you listen out for that epic interview. What's coming up in this half? Well, the Oscars came and went. Yes, they did. We did say last week that by the time you listen to it, it'll probably be out. Yep. Now it is yes. official. Now we all know the result. We all know the results. One specific one, which was uh, uh, with eagle-eyed interest from our community. Yes. Uh, fortunately, Riz Ahmed did not win. He did not. The Best Actor Oscar. And that whole bit was really weird in the Oscars. Which bit? <laughs> the announcement of the lead actor winner. Yeah. It was all a bit strange. Very odd. In yeah, not not to the usual Oscar standards. Obviously, like we got we got to remember this is a you know a bit of a not a subdued Oscars, but it's a bit of a you know like a step back from the normal proceedings basically because of everything that's happening right now. So there's a lot of distancing. It's not quite you know uh, some people are in the room, some people aren't in the room. Um, it's they not also quite changed the, same. the order because they thought that Chadwick Boseman might win, and then he didn't win. But mm. then they didn't also didn't let Anthony Hopkins accept the yeah. the Oscar himself, who did win, and it was all very awkward. Spoiler alert! Strange. I mean, if you don't know the results by now, tough. Now you, you do <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, of course, Riz Ahmed did not win. No, he didn't. It's a massive look. It's a massive, massive look to be nominated. He did know? win Twitter conversation. He did. So let's get to that uh, particular part of the show. Um, so you know, so irate. It was a real, um, like a like what should have been a very quick throwaway moment ended up becoming one of the most talked about segments of the whole red carpet. In the world of Twitter. Episode. Let's just, you know, contextualise this. It's Twitter. Well, Twitter kind of gives a general uh, perspective on what people are saying and thinking. Mm. Not not just from one opinion, from loads of different people. Yes, you know, it just allows people to say things. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's let's get let's get to that. Let's get to that that little bit. So we f first saw Riz on the red carpet, getting his normal paparazzi shots, looking a million bucks With in his Prada. Gorgeous new wife. Yes, next indeed. To him. Yes. Um, and he, you know, he brought her, you know, into almost bringing her into the spotlight where he was. Um, but they took know. the red carpet together. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and so he he brought her up with him, and then uh, proceeded to almost adjust her hair. Yes, he um, decided to groom her, and he was like, "Just hold up a minute," and then started to fix. I mean, what there was nothing wrong with her hair, right? Mm. But he proceeded to fix it, yeah. and then they had this lovely like gazing into each other's eyes moment. It was very sweet, I thought. Right. And um, and then. Twitter happened. Twitter happened. I, I didn't even, you know, I literally didn't think anything of it, uh, of that. It was, for no. me, it was like, oh, it's great. Look, Riz is there. Oh, that's his wife. I haven't really properly seen her before. What uh, a lovely moment. Is, you know, and she's rocking the grey, looking sick as well. Her hair looked you know. amazing. Yeah, she had the the, the grey streaks in her hair. Yeah, very nice. That's what I'm going to do. Um, and she looked gorgeous in that colour. And, you know, she just was lovely and... Yeah, Twitter happened. Twitter happened. So give, give a gist, Jojo B, on the kind of things that people were saying. Oh, gosh. So he, yes, fair enough. He adjusted her hair and like tried to groom her and she didn't really need any grooming done. Nothing was wrong with her hair <laughs> yeah, in the first okay. place. Yeah. It may have been excused to touch her. Who knows? It might have just been like a kind of 
possessive thing. Who knows, right? It could have been any of those things. But what happened was Twitter went mad and was like, how dare he touch her? <laughs> there is nothing wrong with her. And why is everybody going on about how amazing it is that he's like with his wife and being touchy-feely with her? And then the term bare minimum mm-hmm. kept turning up on my timeline. I got so irate, I logged out of Twitter. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I cannot, I cannot bear just people just raining on someone's parade. If someone thinks that's a lovely moment and has said, oh, what a lovely moment. And I'm not angry because I said that because I did say that, right? But lots of other people were saying it as well. Right. And then everyone else is just like, why are you saying that's a lovely moment though? But there was nothing wrong with her hair though. So why did he have to touch her? That's the bare minimum. What do you, is that how low your standards are that you just want a man that just touches your hair? Mm. And I was like, like genuinely, stop beings are fucking miserable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> it really mm-hmm. irritated me. And it might be because I was hormonal because I was very hormonal at that point. But also it could have just been that I think people should just live and let live. Yeah, Like yeah. he wasn't doing anything. She wasn't uncomfortable with it. If she had flinched or she had kind of looked at the camera and said, help me or something, then fair enough. But no, she just looked at him longingly and kind of in a newlywed kind of bubble haze that they have yeah. and was fine with it. But she could, well, okay, playing devil's advocate in this whole situation, as I always do, she couldn't obviously put across that she could have potentially been pissed off by this moment because all the cameras are on you, because the the worldwide glare is on you as well. Yeah, possibly. Um, so, you know, she could have just held that in and just kind of played along in the moment. But also at the same time, whether she was happy with it or not, right? Mm. The It wasn't obvious either way, right? right? She seemed, actually, it seemed probably a little bit more obvious that she was happy with it than she wasn't. Yeah. But either way, what business is it of ours? <laughs> he, they just had a moment. Yes, they did it publicly. Mm. They did it on the red carpet. So they're like, oh, well, you made it open to the public to have an opinion. Mm. But at the same time, they had their moment and it was like a fleeting moment. But then that's what everyone jumped on. And I just thought, you know what? You never see an Asian at that kind of like high level kind of event Hmm. like being nominated for one of the key categories right and then so you very rarely see an asian couple especially a young asian couple being able to show their affection and their love to each other on on that kind of stage as well yeah yeah, right yeah and that was the first time really that you get to see that Mm, and so it was just like a nice moment. It just felt kind of like, oh, look, brown love, it does exist. You know, mm. and especially in the in a world where people think that Asian women, especially Muslim women, are so meek and so Subdued. put upon. And they're not, you know, like they're, as someone said in the news a couple of weeks ago, you know, like an Indian bride two steps behind. Yeah, course, like, yeah, yeah. that's the kind of world, that's the world we live in, that, that people think like that about us. Yeah. And here was a moment where he was like, no. This is my wife. I'm very proud of her. She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Here she is, you know, and we're together, here together, standing next to each other. And he just had a moment where he was just like, yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm talking about this way too much. I, this is what I retained about me on Twitter. <laughs> it was just like, there was no need to talk about this this much. It was just a moment. And I was like, oh, what a lovely moment. But that's it. That's what mm. I took from it. And other people just read into this whole scenario, something that they had no idea about. And quite honestly, I think a lot of it comes from being bitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Because someone said that to me, oh, but it is the bare minimum. And I was like, but 
what are you expecting from a relationship? Yeah. I don't understand. I was like, because little moments mean a lot in a relationship. Yeah, of course. Of course. And so if you're just expecting either big gestures or for them to constantly be like, you know, you know, bowing down at your feet. I don't know expect what you what do you expect? What does the what does bare minimum mean? Mm. People just said the phrase. And I was like, but what exactly does that mean? Yeah. I this is not like oh, but you know, someone being affectionate or being happy to kind of be, you know, like seen with me, not in that kind of like, oh, I'm ashamed of them, but be next to me and be proud of me and be kind of be like, I'm in this relationship and want to show that they're in this relationship. Yeah. It's not being the bare minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't, I didn't understand what bare minimum meant. I personally just think that like, I, there are little moments in relationships that matter and there are big things that matter as well, but they come as a package Like you need all of it. Yeah, of course, yeah. And so if they had a little moment, let them enjoy their little moment. It's not raining in the fucking parade. Mm. Just <laughs> anyway. The, but if, okay, so if I did that to you in in uh, on the red carpet, how would you have reacted? I think when we were newlywed, I probably would have been like, ah. now, like seven years in, I'm like, my my hair is fine. Like, don't touch me. Yeah. Unless my hair is not fine. And then in which case you can. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but no, I, th I think you'd still play the whole, like, why the fuck are you touching my hair kind of thing. But I wouldn't, like? I mean, I would just, would I though? I don't know. Like, I probably would be like, don't touch me. But mm. at the same time, you know, if you, if you felt like you wanted to do that <laughs> and you didn't ruin my hair at the end of it, well, so what? It's all right. It's fine. Yeah. Well, we, obviously, you like you, you have groomed me in public before when something's been out of place or whatever. You I, have, and I've not really, I've not had a problem with it. No, true. It's different though when we're, you know, in amongst our family and friends. When you're in the spotlight of the Oscars in front of the whole world with well, like, exactly. billions of and people she, watching, she is, you know, she's a writer and stuff, but she probably hasn't been in the public eye like that before. And maybe he was just, it was just a moment of reassurance for her. Like maybe he, she was like really freaked out here and he picked up on a signal or something and so mm. he just did something to make her feel like you know i'm here like don't yeah. worry about it look at me don't worry about anything else yeah, yeah, yeah you know who knows but again we're reading so much into it i think that's and it was thing, just a yeah. small moment exactly and people just ran with it because people are miserable and love to have an opinion on everything and <laughs> just no just as just we are here, basically. But you know, it, it is. It was a quick throwaway moment. I feel. Um, I think it got blown out of proportions more than it necessarily needed to be. Yeah, they've been married for five minutes. Let them just enjoy it. Exactly. Fuck's sake! We were all like handsy when we were first married. Yeah. You know, after a while, it's like, yeah, whatever. Been there, done that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We'll see you both in seven years' time and see Wagwan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. After you've had a child and like literally all these affectionate little moments. Go thrown out the window very quickly. And yet I'm still not bitter about it. I'm happy for them. Yeah, exactly. Because it is lovely. It is lovely. Anyway, <laughs> congratulations to them. Exactly. Well done, Riz. We still are very proud and hope to see bigger and better things to come in the future and more Oscar opportunities, potentially. Um, What else? Ackley Bridge is back this Yay! week. Yay! Um, when it's newer, like earlier time slot, which is reflected in the programming. Um, it's like turned into this whole other show where it's like half an hour long and a bit like Hollyoaks, but yeah. I'm so into it. Yeah, I think it's because it's because of the quick episodes and they turn around very quickly and they're on every day. So you get a chance to watch representation every day now. 
uh, with and, our yeah, people. And also, you know, there, there's like representation of the traveler community now, yeah. which is also really big. I mean, I, we're not from that community, so we can't speak for them, but I, it's an interesting insight. I of hope course. it's accurately done and kind of well done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I just think it's great. I'm loving it. Yeah. I know some people are not enjoying it. I saw on Twitter, but I don't, again, I don't care what people on Twitter have to say. Okay. <laughs> Saying that while you're on there all the fucking time, but you know what? I think this is true. But it's it's one of those things where I think I I got used to the older series and the way it was presented. Um, you know, with the late night slot and the content would reflect that. Obviously, um, they've gone for an earlier time slot, so it's a bit more PG. I it's guess a bit teenagery, a bit yeah. more teenagery. I guess so it's more YA than it was previously. But I kind of you know there's still elements of it which I still enjoy. Um, they still delve into some you know, sort of tough subject matters and the relationships between the kids. I just think, like, young teenagers are just... They're always annoying anyway. And Irritating so this, and dumb and led by their hormones. Yeah, exactly. And we've all been through it. This is it. We so were all we're, those people we're just sitting there, obviously, watching those, uh, you know, that community, um, you know, reflected back at us. And I guess that can be annoying at times. And that that is what it is at times. But I just realized they're called all teenagers dumb. You're not all dumb. Wow. If you're a teenager. What I mean wow. is, it's like you do like all when you're a teenager, are, are you going to take that? No, teenagers? when you're a teenager, you, you do dumb that, things though? because you just don't have life experience. So you wow, just you end don't even up have doing... life experience as well. Wow, you're ba- downplaying your whole like life. Five minutes. Come on. These problems matter. Fam. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you know what I mean? I don't mean that everyone's dumb if they're a teenager. What I mean is that dumb things will happen when you're a teenager because that's just the way of life. And if you don't do those dumb things, you'll never learn from your mistakes. So you have to make the mistakes, whatever mistakes they'll be. And um, yeah, usually it involves your love life at some point or another where you'll do something stupid. It's fine. It's fine. You'll get over it. Life will go on. You'll get over it. That's all you need to know. There you go. Lessons from Auntie Jojo V. Um, because, yeah, she's uh, experienced in all matters, teenager. Um, but, yeah, make sure you watch Actually Bridge on every day now, which is a great thing. I think you can actually stream back the whole series as well on all four. So, yeah, big muse, big muse, big news uh, and big representation for our community on television. But unfortunately, we end this half of the episode with some sad news uh on what's happening currently in the world especially in india where the coronavirus crisis has really taken its toll uh, a second wave of the virus is ravaging all parts of india with i think almost well, over 380,000 cases new cases just being reported this past week uh daily And now that's the biggest one-day increase on record for any country anywhere in the world. Now, the total number of infections in the country is now past 18 million. Coronavirus is, of course, affected everywhere on the planet. But the last few weeks and months in India is unlike anything we've ever seen before up to this point. It's really horrifying. There are new mutations and um, vaccinations have not happened quickly enough. And now they're running out of oxygen, oxygen yeah. and it's just getting to a very, very scary point where so many people, I mean, my Twitter is just like full of people who have family out there who need help and they need access to medication and to oxygen. And it's just, it's in short supply everywhere. And it's, 
it's yeah it's very very scary there are a lot of charities though doing a lot of fundraising work yeah i'm um, trying to get uh, equipment and to get medical supplies to the people who need it on the ground um so we will be putting some links up in our show notes yes where you can donate um and that money will go to india covid relief yeah um so yeah please do check out our show notes and make donations as much as you can afford yeah 100 percent. we'll be putting those links on our socials as well when this show is out uh on wednesday and so you make sure you please whatever you can donate towards the india covid relief fund uh, because these times right now when you look at what's happening in india um you know it's been a, a horrendous year in india in general with the farmers protests happening in delhi as well and now this second wave of coronavirus is leaving people literally to die everywhere there's like mass grave sites uh they're running out of places in crematoriums there's no oxygen in the hospitals it's horrific it's, it's really i mean that i haven't even been able to look at the images because it's just horrifying it's really horrifying yeah. um and we can all do a little bit to help of by course. donating 100 percent. Uh, we will be talking more about this on our next episode as well in more detail so make sure you all listen out for that but in the meantime, in the second half of this show, as already announced, we will be joined by the legendary musical pioneer that is Bali Segu. See you on the other side, people. second half of the native immigrants i am swami barakas and there is no jojo b because we're having technical issues here on the native immigrants in la casa barracuda sad times in one of our first shows of season four but where there's a will there's a way we've managed to make it happen and i'm here i'm not okay let's let's go back when we talk about our show we only talk about legends and pioneers and people that inspire the British Asian community to a whole nother level. And when we talk about those kind of people, there's very few that can amount the same merit as this next gentleman. Because when I talk about albums like Wham Bam and Star Crazy and Essential Raga and Bollywood Flashback, there's a time period that those uh, albums equate to that takes me right back to those days of my childhood and I was a kid growing up in Southall so it was such a prevalent movement of the fusion of Asian and British culture and this man's albums identified that culture to an absolute T. I'm here joined by the legend that is Bali Sagu. Hello Bali, how's it going? Yeah great bro, great I'm very good. Hey, that was a nice intro, by the way. No, absolutely. <laughs> you, so you know, you know, nice think, words. thank you. <laughs> no, nah, it's, you know, it's for us, uh, especially um, someone like myself. I was um, growing up in Southall in, in the early 90s and I'm Gujarati. And so I couldn't really identify too much with 
Bhangra music specifically, but your fusion of those two cultures, the British and the, and the ethnic and the Asian culture, really helped someone like myself get a bit more closer to my cultural roots with Asian music. So there's a lot I've got to thank you for, but let's, let's, let's go back. Let's go, let's go further, further back into the life of Bali Sagu. Now you grew up in Birmingham during the seventies and the eighties. And now that was quite a multicultural community, but there was also a lot of racial tensions in the area. I know, you know, power had this rivers of blood speech in Birmingham only a few years after you were born yourself. But what was the experience like for you growing up during that era? I grew up in the 60s. We, I was born in India and my parents, we moved straight to Birmingham. And yeah, I mean, obviously growing up in the 60s and 70s, it was a very, very different story in those days. I was heavily involved around a lot of racism. Um, I was one of the very few Sikh guys walking down the road. In fact, I was the only Sikh guy in school. And I always remember that I always told my parents that I don't want to go to this school because my turban keeps getting knocked off every day. And uh, my mom and dad said, no, you have to go to this school because your sister goes there, my bigger sister. Right. And it's also a decent school to go to. The school I wanted to go to was around the corner from my house. It was a bit more of a rougher school, but I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, it was a bad school, but yeah, it had a mixture of kids in there. There were black guys in there. And, you know, there was a few Asian kids in there. And however, my parents still said, no, you can't go to this school because it's not really the best school. And the one you're going to, which means you got to catch a bus every day, is a better school. And for me, that was always uh, something that held me back. I mean, I was always like, you know, uh, I don't feel comfortable here. And, you know, I'm always getting picked on. I'm always getting all these problems with all the kids picking on me in the playground and so on and so on. And the kind of music that I wanted to listen to was literally top 40 and top of the pops and stuff like that. And when they used to look at me, they used to think, what does this Indian kid know? And what does he you know, know about music and stuff? And I was completely relating to a couple of the black guys that were my friends in school. And I was really like hanging out with them and they were my close friends. And I soon got into the whole scene about, you know, I love all this reggae music and I love all this music that we're looking, watching on the radio and on TV. And so, you know, that was my upbringing really. And then I, I heavily, heavily was, you know, after I pressured my parents, they finally moved schools after my first term. And then I went to, the school I ended up going to, which I'm so glad I did. And that was, for me, the point where I was like hanging with people that I can relate to, as in Western uh, black guys, maybe a few Asian guys, and, uh, and a mixture of kids, all relating and listening to different types of music, really. And I really got heavily into uh, the reggae music and the, the soul music and the Motown music and started building up my collection, man, from... The 70s, you know, my record collection goes to the 70s. I started wow. in the 70s. Um, and I was buying so many seven-inch records. Um, and then, yeah, I started mixing them up in my, uh, in, my, in my front room of my house. My dad was a musician, so he had all the hi-fi in the house. We had record spools, reel-to-reels. We had turntables, cassette players, uh, tape decks. And before I knew it, I was heavily involved in becoming a mix doctor, you know. I was constantly mixing up tapes in my bedroom. And this is like literally... I tell you when it was, it was 1977. Wow. And so uh, I, I remember, you know, and I was remember it clearly. And then I was going to school and I was like, this is what I want to be doing. And I was playing cassettes in my classroom and everyone was just bobbing along. And I was like, this is called probably being a DJ, man. Everyone's bobbing <laughs> along. And I'm listening to this music. And when I play this music, you're bobbing your heads. 
Um, and, and this is like, and the reason why I remember it is because Saturday Night Fever came out in 77 and that Absolutely. soundtrack kind of just took me to a whole different world. I'm like, I like this music, man. I love this disco vibe and I love all these sounds. And, and, and I, that's why I still remember it. Like I was 13 years old and, you know, that was really the point where I started like, well, uh, I'm going to start making music, man. So, so in what time for you, um, in terms of the the actual South Asian music, um, how much of that inspired your uh, initial steps into your journey into music? Because obviously you're around reggae and you're around uh, the dancehall and you're around the disco and that kind of movement in terms of the Western music. But uh, in terms of your uh, pursuit and your interest within um, the South Asian music itself, when did that sort of take place within your life? I mean, that's what a lot of people don't understand, really. You know, I, I, I involved myself in Asian music years down the road. I was never into Asian music. And the reason right. being was nothing was influencing me. My parents were Bollywood. My parents were traditional music coming from India. And every single person I was hanging around with, all the people I was with, we were all into different type of music and a different genre of sounds. And there really wasn't a British Asian movement. There wasn't an Asian yeah, music. Absolutely. And then, you know, I couldn't say, oh, I like him or I like her. Or, I like that sound. It was pretty much Bollywood. Yeah. It was Punjabi music from Punjab that my mom was listening to on the cassette player in the kitchen while she was making the roti. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, my, my dad was into the heavy black and white songs. My dad was a professor of bad black and white film songs. I think people who knew my dad, he was an encyclopedia. So Fantastic. all around the house was constantly Muhammad Rafi, Lata Mangeshkar, and the classic Bollywood songs. And I really wasn't into that sound. I wasn't into those songs. I was in my bedroom and I was constantly getting all these uh, green sleeve records and I was getting all the reggae tunes from the record, record shop around the corner with my dinner money from school. And I kept just getting into that sound. But as the years and years progressed and my, 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 my family, my sister especially, they said, you know, why don't you start listening to some Indian music, man, and see if you can mash it up a bit and just do something. And I'm like, nah, man, that's not really my style. But as the, the you know, the 80s kind of started and then the wedding scenes and Bhangra band started emerging, like the Hidas and Alaps and stuff. And then yeah. I was like going to weddings. That's when I was hearing a whole different sound, man. I was like, dude, this sounds pretty okay. You know, all this, this uh, Bhangra music. And, and it was the British Indian Bhangra music. It was not. Punjabi music from Punjab. It was pretty much Punjabi music from the UK. And that's a really amazing point because that's what connected me really because I still was not listening to Punjabi music from India. I was listening to wedding music that was predominantly Hira, Premi, Alab, DCS, Sahotas. And that sound was exciting me. And I was like, this is the kind of thing I love, man. And the same with everybody else. And then all of a sudden, 2,000 Indian kids are jamming and jumping up and down in a club or a party. And you're thinking, whoa, man, this is some crazy energy here. And then I thought, okay, you know, my friends are like, try doing something with some, some of these type of sounds. And, and then I started doing a few bootlegs. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I took some 80s uh, cassettes and I was mashing them up. And then that kind of led one thing to another. And I thought, right, you know, I didn't have the acapellas. I sort of just EQ'd the vocals down. And then I put my big breaks behind there. And then I thought, this is sounding all right. And then one thing led to another, man. And then I did a, 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 a mega mix in my bedroom and then I got it played on the radio. And then I got spotted from there, really. And then that kind of opened the doors for me. And this is like 89, 1989, I think, yeah. 
Yeah, because that was the first, uh, I guess, fusion uh, records for British and, and Asian culture. And, you know, for our generation, you know, firstborn Asians in the UK, you know, our identity is based on the mix of those two cultures, of the British culture and the Asian culture. And your music pretty much defined that identity. Uh, but did you receive any kind of backlash at all from like sort of traditional Asian communities from that period? Um, you know, because remember this is before anyone's ever heard anything like this before. And so there's going to be a lot of like the traditionalists that are, that are thinking, you know, why are they almost, you know, taking our music and, and, you know, mixing it with sort of the Western cultures when it should be left by itself almost in a way, or, you know, or, or since because of the fusion of those two cultures, did you receive any kind of backlash, I guess, from our communities during that time? Dude, I got it all the time. I got it years and years later, even when I established my name. I did wow. it. I got it when I worked with Nusraf Ali Khan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got it so many times back in the days, and I kind of get it in dribs and drabs because there are people out there that say, you know, you shouldn't tamper with this sound or you shouldn't tamper with this song or you shouldn't tamper with these styles of music. I'm like, who the hell gives you the right to say how music should sound? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Secondly, right, how dare you tell me how I should hear music? I mean, that's yeah. like not even, and also look at the public, ask the people out there. If I'm connecting Asians around the world, like you, Gujarati, there's another guy who's a, a Muslim guy and there's another guy who's a Sikh guy and they're all jamming and jumping up and down and connecting through music. That was Bob Marley's message, for God's sake, man. Of course. So, I, I mean, I, I don't need some small primers telling me, oh, you shouldn't experiment with that sound or you shouldn't do this type of music or you shouldn't do that type of music. I'm like, you don't have the rights to say that, man. In fact, no one has the rights to say how music should or shouldn't sound. It's up to the public how they want to hear it. And more importantly, how I want to make it. And I stuck to my guns. And obviously, after so many albums now that I've obviously hit around the world, I connected with American Desis, Canadian Desis, Australians, Europeans, and a lot of Asians around the world. They were waiting for that moment. It was like landing on the moon. You know, it was like all of a sudden we can wind down our windows, man, and blare the music on a Saturday afternoon. And we can go into a nightclub and hear our tunes and they don't sound wishy-washy or they're drained out. Because, of course, some of the early songs back in the days didn't have the bottom end. They didn't sound right. They didn't stand up against some uh, big tune that was playing on the radio. So we needed that input. Hence, obviously, I was making those sounds. I got my drum machines and I got my sounds together and I started just fusing the vocals. I mean, for me, it wasn't Indian music. It was reggae. It yeah. was R&B, it was soul, it was Motown, it was house, it was disco, Boniem, Bob Marley, reggae. It wasn't like I was making Bhangra music because everyone keeps saying Bhangra music. I mean, what is Bhangra music? Bhangra music is not all these sounds, you know? Yeah, so, that's true. You know, oh, it's not, you know, when you, when you hear hip hop music, you know, that's hip hop, that's reggae. You don't say, you know, it's one genre of music, you know? So we, I had to kind of, kind of push those boundaries and tell people, Essential Ragga is not Bhangra album. It's yeah. exactly what the album the sleeve says. I mean, I designed it and I made it and I called it Essential Ragga. The only thing is I use Punjabi vocals. But, you know, and sometimes people say, oh, that Bhangra album, that Bhangra song. I'm like, no, it's not really what I say. That's a Bhangra song. But yeah, both Lacharabia, Gurnaish Bhakha, Bhangra song. Um, so it's, it's like, same as the Western market, you know, they have different genres of music. We still don't have different genres of music. You have a top 10 Bhangra song top 10 Bhangra chart, and it's swaddled with all types of trends of music in there, which aren't Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's like, where does that come from? It's like, here's the top 10 hip-hop chart, 
and then you get, you know, you know, I don't know, some of the uh, English artists in there that's not even doing any hip hop. You know, <laughs> like, if it's a hip hop chart, this is the top ten hip hop chart. If it's a Bangra chart, it's the top ten Bangra chart. What the hell is Bollywood floating around in there for with some Arjit song? That's completely. I completely agree with you. It's it's cra- it's crazy because we had um, Apache Indian on our show last year, um, and it's 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 mad how similar both of your stories and your journeys have been basically within music in terms of growing up in Birmingham, but also being very influenced by you know the things that are happening in your community. Both of you obviously into reggae during the, that time period of you know the early eighties, and obviously that influenced your music thereafter. Um, and also, just like you said, you know you both entered a period where there was a lot of um, backlash, especially from our traditional Asian communities. But in order yeah, to I mean, be... Our people were the last people to support you. 100%. They came on board later. It took me time to convince them. But then when my, sh- t- when my tapes were flying off the shelves, people were like, Bali Segu, man, Bali Segu, man. Because before it was like, you know, nah, man, you know, you got to do what they're doing. In fact, you got to do what everyone else is doing. And I'm like... yeah. I don't follow trends, man. And I keep saying this on my, on my interviews. My new song is not about the trend. I don't follow the trend. Why should I follow a trend of music for? After of so, 50 albums, I should still follow trends? I don't think so. Yeah, I think the, the thing is, um, in order to have the lasting legacy, you have to go outside the box and against the grain for especially our community to even sit up and take notice um you know we say it week in week out on our show on the native immigrants that you know unfortunately our own community are the ones that are holding ourselves back um that that comes from that comes from sometimes a a, a backwards mentality um or a regressive mind state we're not a collective community anymore we've you know we've we've divisive in the best of times and we've decided to segregate our own individual communities almost against each other and because of that it's been very detrimental um, specifically for the arts specifically for music Um, and you know it's for the people that have led the way people like yourself and people like Apache and you know the guys that decided to do something different Mm -hmm. and go outside of the box it's it's it took a long time for um, you know for you guys to almost be accepted and then when it when you guys did it was like oh you know he's one of us now he's one of ours when it was like well no, I was I was making that music, and you decided yeah. not to support it from the offset. Yeah, I, I was always one of you. You know exactly. We've always been Asian. We've always been Asian. We've always been like I'm an Indian. I'm a Sikh. I'm you know I'm a British Indian guy, and so on. So I've always been. I know about my roots and culture. I don't need to be reminded about my roots and culture. I know what it is. And at the end of the day, I live here in England, so I like what's happening here, and I like to mix it up with what I hear abroad as well. And that's what music is about. It's always about that. And some people can take it and some people can't take it. But then not everyone likes Michael Jackson. I won't like Michael Jackson. Not, when, not everyone's going to like every artist in the world, which is fine, yes. really. But I think our people always have a problem, with, uh, 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 always. And they're the first to kind of always make a noise, make a complaint. And then all of a sudden they start following suits and they're like, oh, my God, you know, always <laughs> like when I started doing the Bollywood remixes and Bollywood was not taking note. And then all of a sudden there's like 75 Turalians come out on the market. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what's going on with Bollywood, man? And I'm like going to India and everyone's doing all these new remixes. And I'm like, they're not remixes, they're covers. Get the yeah. difference, man. There's a big difference between a remix and a cover. So, you know, when I went to India, they're all of a sudden doing Kanta Laga, volume 62 or something. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, we don't do that in England, man. We, and that's a good thing about where we come from. You know, we don't have the same song. We're rinsed out like 50 times, man. And um, that was what Bollywood was all about. You know, they kind of copied what we were doing. And yet, 
They weren't there when we were asking for their support, you know? Yeah, of so course. we had to convince them. And we're really a small, uh, you know, a place where we come from in the UK. The rest of the world is a lot more bigger than us, but it showed how much effect we had and, and, and how much we, everyone looked at us for uh, trends, like, you know, the UK uh, Desi music scene, because we all of a sudden made them look at us and say, wow, these guys are doing all types of stuff, man. Bangra bands are coming out. And, you know, uh, there was more uh, Western style of music coming out within the Asian underground within the yep. Bhangra daytimers and this is a very important part and I always say this man if you wasn't around in the sort of 80s and the 90s you missed it man that was the 100%. Motown of the Desi music scene that's our Motown really so yeah. for me that was that sound that we didn't have and the energy and more importantly the love between the artists was a lot different than today's the love between the artists today is not the same man that's for sure. Wholeheartedly, yeah. There's not the same support amongst uh, no, artists. Yeah. No, no, there's not. I mean, everyone's in for it. Like, not everyone, but a lot of people just more interested about what their video is going to look like or how quickly they can get a track out and rather than, you know, saying, is this going to stand this test of time? You know, you know, I make songs that will stand 30 years plus in the times and they're still there playing on the radio. Today, yeah. it's like, you know, one month later down the road, some of these songs, you won't hear them. Completely agree. And I think it's, you know, it's it's a shame because like I said, I think it's been detrimental to the the scene and the kind of the, the camaraderie between the artists because of it as well at the same time. You know, when we had the kind of 80s and the 90s, I mean, you're right, it was such a golden era and a great period for not just obviously the artists themselves, but it was an emerging like scene as well. And it was, people were like, not just the, the, the musicians, but the fans and the culture just became yeah. defined almost during that era as well at the same time there was um, more for, unity with yes. asians desis in those days now they kind of kind of come off the page a little bit i think yeah um yeah it's a shame hopefully fingers crossed we get you know things work in circles you know and we can get back to a period where we enter a time where we have those days again basically not maybe not for our generation but for <laughs> our, our kids and the next generation to basically yeah. get into their own. yeah exactly um, i mean you know, you know that time isn't going to come back again but of course like i was saying if you were there and you were at the forefront of the struggle and the fight to get our music on radio i got the first ever airplay of an indian song on radio one what an important part of uh, history that was, you know? I mean, Radio 1, middle of the afternoon, and you're going to hear my song? That's unheard of. You can only hear it late nights if you wanted to hear an Indian song. And wow, all of a sudden, playlisted. And that was like a, a big moment in time. And then when I was on Top of the Pops, of course. And when I was a kid, sitting in my mom's lap, so I used to watch Top of the Pops, and I used to say, I'm going to be on this program one day, mom. And she used to laugh at me. And my mom and dad were saying, Indians are not going to come on top of the pops. It's it's a really impossible thing. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward and I'm on top of the pops with Dill Cheese. And I'm like, whoa. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's the time such, has changed. It's such a seminal moment um, for us as, as British Asians during the 90s. Uh, you know, because... It's, if we take music out to the equation, films as well, we were just about, we were seeing finally some British Asian films as well at the same time, but there was never that that switch into the mainstream the way you did when Top of the Pops came on and we saw Dil G's. And, and it was, and I guess for us and, and the, the communities, it was a real, a hugely stellar moment because now it was like, right, we can finally see some representation for our people on the biggest musical shows in the UK. And we were hoping basically that that would just set off a whole chain of, uh, 
artists that are going to be on top of the pops and TV all the time. And unfortunately, <laughs> it, it all kind of peaked as well during that time period. And we yeah. haven't seen the likes of it, maybe the, the early 2000s with Rishi and the guys and stuff. But, you know, we're, we're still now fighting for more representation uh, for mm. uh, our musicians and our actors. Yeah, at, again, we, we're... We have to work on that as a collective community to, you know, to help enable that to happen. We obviously need more people in the decision-making rooms and, you know, making those decisions to allow that to happen as well at the same time. Um, but it also it needs the, obviously the support of our own people to to help propel, you know, our artists and our musicians and stuff to that stratosphere so we can get that, you know, that time period again. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Juralia. There was, a, you know, that time period of the mid-90s, growing up again, like I was, I was saying in Southall, there was literally only two tracks that all the cars were playing at that time <laughs> that I can remember. One was yeah. LL Cool J's Doing It, which was on repeat. Yeah. And oh, the man, other one tune, was an amazing track. You literally heard it every day for yeah. a good whole summer. And the other yeah. one was Juralia. Um, and it was, um, you know, and even before that, you know, you can talk about all your uh, wham bams and essential raggers. Yeah. But when Juralia hit, it because it because it's a Bollywood track, it then yeah. filtered through all aspects of the community. So mums were listening to it, grandmas were listening to it, mm. we were listening to it, the generation, uh, you know, underneath us, us were listening to it as well. And it was a, it was just a, a, a moment, you know, a real moment basically for the British Asian mm. community. Um, but you've had such a long and distinguished career, obviously, in that time and since then, touring the world and releasing numerous albums. And, but what have been like your personal highlights in that time? Well, I mean, there's been so many brilliant moments that I'm so grateful for, you know, in my whole sort of journey, which I'm still traveling. And for me, it's always been about, yeah, you know, it's always about the music and what people have related to and which people I've touched whether it's, you know, a certain community or a certain audience. But when I see the world enjoying songs that I've kind of put together and I'm like, whoa, and they all have their stories, that's always touching for me. You know, when someone tells me like, oh, you know, I met my wife or I met my husband on this tune. And this was our first dance and our wedding and, um, and so on. Or I was at school and, you know, this song used to be playing. And then they start talking about their stories. And I'm like, whoa, man, that's just so nice to hear that yeah. you, you, you've connected through these songs. And I get that all the time. And, and the one thing I always ask people is, what song do you, or stands out for you of my work and all that? And a lot of people, you know, they have different stories, you know, like somebody would say, yeah, Juralia, yeah, that was the most romantic song. And, and it touched all the Bollywood audiences because you got to remember before that, I didn't do Bollywood stuff. So yeah. Bollywood flashback was my little uh, entry into Bollywood because I thought, I've kind of made my name in the UK now and I've got a Bhangran sort of name going and I now need to tackle the big one. That's when I thought I'll do Bollywood flashback and I had no idea that it would be accepted because it was unheard of, man. And so when I did it in 94, I went to India and all that stuff. I even got sick while I was recording it, you know. But um, I, it took me a long time to get those songs sorted out. But yeah, the end result, I had no idea that it was going to be a mainstream album. It yeah. wasn't made for mainstream. I got signed up with Columbia, man, and Sony Music, and then the song came out, and it was my first music video. And I was like, whoa, I'm making a music video. I've got, like, I've got eight albums out, and I don't really make music videos because it wasn't the trend. Yeah. And then I got my first music video, which you can see, Juralia. Um, and then, yeah, and then all around, everyone's like saying, okay, we like this song, we like that song. And it was important for me to do Bollywood because I don't just want a Punjabi audience, man. I want a world audience. I want everyone to like my music. So I always listen 
to what people say. And some people say, we don't like Bhangra music. And I'm like, well, I like Bhangra music. What do you like? Oh, I like uh, uh, Bollywood stuff. And I like this kind of stuff. Oh, I like Sufi. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do some Sufi vibes because uh, I, I think that would be a good idea. And then I'll sort of take it on board and I think, okay, cool. Because I don't want to just do one type of, uh, you know, sound. And, and, and some people do that. Like they have this certain sound on all of their songs. My tracks are completely different from one zone to a different zone, you know, and I'm like, I've gone dub, I've gone hardcore pangra, I've gone very romantic, um, and I've gone Sufi, and of course I've gone hardcore reggae. So I, I always try to do all those things, but the most important thing is that it's what I enjoy, and it's yeah. the kind of genres that I like listening to. I can't do rock music, because I don't listen to rock music. <laughs> so, you know, if there's certain sounds or music that I don't listen to, then it's probably not going to be... I'm not the right person to make it, I suppose. But it's only the kind of songs and music that I like doing, that I like experimenting with. And then, and that's always been my sort of a recipe in, when I'm in the studio, you know, and thinking, wow, this is cool. I've done Arabic stuff. I've done Japanese stuff. You know, I've done so many different languages, done Bengali stuff. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I've done all these different uh, vocals and mixes. And I'm thinking, wow, this is brilliant. I have no idea what the guy or the girl is singing, but I love the vibe and I've got a translation. And it must be the same thing what Agora is thinking when he's hearing a Pagra song. Yeah. He's just liking the vibe, but he doesn't know. Uh, he has no idea what that means. Yeah. But he's like, whoa, this sounds good. This sounds good. Churalia, man. What's Churalia? I like this song. <laughs> Churalia. I'm like, Churalia is a good song. And I remember when the yeah. magazines used to come out. And you know, Churalia was the top 10 song of all time with the, the sound systems and the cars. It was always yeah. in there. Absolutely. And th these 10 songs are always tested on sound systems around the world. And, and I'm like, wow, you know, and still to this day, people still say that's one of the most deadliest uh, tracks with a, a bass line on any Indian song to this day. Absolutely. And that's 1994. <laughs> mm, yeah, I know. Wow. It's like that. It's, it's crazy when you think of that. It's, you know, we're coming up to like 26 years of that song coming out. <laughs> Almost 30 years to oh me, man. It's like, God. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah. Of time is 30 years old. That's crazy. But I literally remember it like it was yesterday because it was, I think that time period, like for, for everyone that was growing up during the 90s, I think we're all very much in touch with that that era, the great music that was also coming out during that time period. Um, you know, Yeah, like you say, you were driving down so, uh, down your South or Broadway and absolutely. you wind the windows down and you could hear them like 20 blocks down coming playing Churalia. Yeah. And you could hear the bass line and there was like, what a great moment that was on a Saturday afternoon and you'd pull up, you walk into the shop and you buy the latest cassette and then you put it in your cassette player and then you come and pose up and down, you know, South or Broadway or Soho Road with your sound system in your car and the, yeah. the ultimate song. And, you know, that, that was how we used to pose in those days, you know, it was about the rims, it was about the car, it of was about the, about the beeline coming out. And it was an Indian song, man. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, exactly. We didn't get that. We weren't doing that before. It was like, we didn't do that. It was like, wind the window up, man. It's an Indian tune. But then all of a sudden, it was like, wind the window we down. down. <laughs> yeah. Because we can see our subs. They're shaking, man. The subs are shaking. So, um, yeah, you know, that's when it was a, a very exciting time. I mean, now everyone's got an 808 and it's thumping away and it's like, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, I mean, that was a whole different time and a different genre, man. And the energy, the people walking down the road. There was a more, a different love than in those days, walking down the street, doing yeah. your shopping, getting your gobi, picking up your dal sabjis and running in and saying, uncle, what's the new tape in the shops? And what's Go the to ABC, yeah, ABC Music and, or and Metro. And you support everyone, literally. Yeah. You'd be buying every single tape. Oh, these three tapes have come out this week. I'll take them. 
Yes. Each. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll be buying three albums for two fifty. I'll be two fifty for an album. That's oh, and you open the artwork, you read the artwork, you look at the inlay, you look at the design. And the last thing people cared about was a video. They don't care about anything. They're like, just play this and listen to it with your ears, man. You don't watch music; you can listen to it with your ears. You know, idea. It's, it's, it's you're talking all these things, and it's just like, oh wow, that the the reminiscing of of that era has just come flooding back into my mind. And yeah, the sights and the yeah, sounds yeah, and the you, smells. Yeah. It's yeah, just it's crazy how much it's ingrained <laughs> in our culture. It's crazy. But if you have this conversation with a twenty year old. Yeah. What the hell, man? Yeah, what's that? What are you talking about? I mean, you know, my 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 little girl, she's fifteen, and I'm when when I tell her these type of things, obviously to to your kids, you're like pop, your parent, you're an old school. But I'm like, retro is back. It's coming back. No, it's not coming back, Daddy. I'm like, it is coming back. Retro (laughs) is my new track is retro. My album's got some retro vibes. Um, look at the mainstream charts. They're constantly advertising new '80s new albums and collections compilations. I'm already into that scene because I come from that scene. I'm not diving into that scene. I'm not saying, okay, let me try something. I came from that scene, bro. Yes. (laughs) So for me, it's like, oh, you want me to do what I've been doing since I was a kid? Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, this is a this is a, a personal question because I'm so eager to know like how that came about and how like where is this gentleman today? So the name Cheshire Cat was uh, a very much a prominent uh, figure in a lot of those early projects, but he's such a, a hidden figure in today's music and there's very little known about him or where he is or yeah. how that, that, you know, how he you know, came about in terms of the collaborations. And because we always heard this name, Cheshire Cat, Cheshire Cat, and we heard him in all these projects, but then you saw very little of him since or, 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 or mm. after that time period. Talk to us about Cheshire Cat. Well, I mean, obviously I discovered him and he was on uh, some of my biggest tracks. And and yeah, like you say, man, I mean, I think he's the most sort of hidden guy from this country. People don't even know he's a white guy. He yeah. stays, check my skin, check my color, me white like flower. Um, in the rap even, he's, in his lyrics, he says that because obviously when I did uh, Long Watch, man, the whole thing just blew up from there. And uh, I'm like, okay, I got to record with this guy again, man. And then we became friends and obviously I would pick him up from his house and then take him to the studio. And then he got into the way we worked and stuff. And people around the world, uh, if you look back at my cover of Essential Raga, you see the photograph of him. I put that there so people can see him because he looks like a heavy metal musician. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, long hair and stuff. And, yeah. and, uh, and there's a reason why, because on the next collaboration, I thought you got to mention your skin color, man, because people do not believe that you are a white guy. And it was like, and then he quickly put it down on his paper and he's like, Let, get on the mic, man. And then, yeah, he's like, check my skin, check my color. I mean, white like flower. And yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm like, people still ask me, is Cheshire Cat white? I'm like, why is it so important? <laughs> <laughs> you could be green with bloody pink Absolutely. spots. Absolutely. But I think it was because it was such a fascinating thing. They were like, you know, he's doing some amazing reggae, uh, you know, tracks and stuff. And, and he's rapping and he's, his stuff is as good as the Jamaican dancehall artist from Jamaica. And, and his circle was completely reggae. And that was what the, where he was coming from. To him, it was like, I could chat on your tune, man, because your tune is reggae, man, proper stuff. 
And yeah. to me, it's not about the Bangra or this or that. And he was like, I like this vibe and I could chat on this vibe. And I'm like, just do your thing, man. Freestyle and, you know, where shall I rap? Where shall I not rap? I'm like, dude, I'll just mute the vocal and I'll cut it afterwards and I'll place it where I need. And that's yeah. how we've always worked on all the tracks. From And then obviously when we did Juralia, it was just like game over from there because now it's Bollywood. Yes. Um, and, and I was like, is Bollywood going to accept a nice romantic song with a guy rapping all over it and it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea and will the aunties and the older generation like it? Like you say, the aunties and everyone got into it. Yes, they did. And I'm like, how can they get into this song, man, when there's a guy rapping on there? Well, yeah. I'll tell you why. Because it was very soft. It yeah. wasn't hard. It wasn't hard on the ears. There was no, obviously, no cussing. There was no bad language or anything. And I was always into, like, this is going to be radio-friendly. I don't want to be, like, only a certain audience. This song needs to play on the radio, like LL Cool J or someone. It just needs to be daytime, nighttime on the radio. So make it very friendly and make it sort of radio. And it goes, cool, man, don't worry, I won't swear. <laughs> so get on the mic and then pow. I mean, you know, uh, one after another, you know, we, we did so many tracks together, man. And... Um, I have no idea where he is nowadays, man. But yeah, really, oh, I was hoping. See, I was hoping you would be the the key to yeah. unlock everyone asks the whereabouts yeah. of Joshua Cat. Everyone always say because he wants to have this little mystery as well, and I'm like, maybe because when you check out social media, it's like very hard to see is that really his social media or not? Because yeah. first of all, there's a thousand Cheshire Cats out there, yeah. and it's a very <laughs> popular name within regards to artists and abroad. So there's a lot of Cheshire Cats out there. Um, and people do ask me in interviews as well. And, and I'm like, this guy could do a whole, you know, a, a gig on his own, man, because he's done yeah, so many uh, tracks. And he, when I saw him on stage and I'm like, dude, this guy is just ridiculous, man. Um, he needs to be signed up by a major. And he needs an album out there. And, and, and the unique thing about him is his look. Exactly. So I'm like, you, you, you'll be judging him before he gets on the mic. And then when he's on the microphone, it's like, Game over, man. It's like Eminem, isn't it? When you see Eminem on stage, you're thinking, what's he going to do? But then obviously he's established himself and he's like, he's Eminem. You know he's going to tear it up. So the same with obviously Cheshire Cat. And I'm just so glad that obviously I, we we made some amazing music uh, in that time. I mean, uh, you know, the Star Crazy 1991. Um, you know, I had to, uh, I remember picking him up from the other side of Birmingham on one really uh, cold day. I'm like, we're going to go in the studio and do an Indian track. He's like, yeah, man, what is Indian track going to be? Man, what Indian track? <laughs> and I'm like, it's not really an Indian oh, track, well. but yeah, just mark my words for it. And I got an idea and I think it's going to work. And, and then obviously once we got in the studio and then I just said, dude, the song is just a nice love song. Mira Longwacha. And then he goes, this is not an Indian song, man. It's a reggae song. You talk about Indian song. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I'm just saying that the girl is singing in an Indian language, but don't get put off because I'll tell you what she's saying. And you're yeah. okay, what she's saying. So then I give him a little bit of a, you know, translation about the song. And he goes, oh, okay, cool, man. So, you know, I keep it sweet, you know. You know, bend down low and wind your waist. Keep a smile on your sexy face. <laughs> You know, up, you know. so I'm like, yeah, keep it very sort of, you know, lovely little girl, be happy, yeah. And I'm like, you know, uh, rock to the rhythm. So I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. It's very radio. It's very, uh, it, people will like it. And then when I obviously put it together and then I cut it all up and I got the ad libs and then I spaced it all out, I'm like, what you reckon? And then he was like, whoa, dude, man, this is coming out sick, man. And I said, I'll probably call you again for some more tracks. He goes, definitely, man. And then, yeah, we, we, we went on and did some more tracks. Then after that, obviously, we did the Juralia in 94. That came a few years later. But then yeah, I got yeah. him on Essential Ragger as well, you know, on the GT Road and Kali mm -hmm. Terigut as well. And uh, 
But yeah, I mean, when I did the ragamuffin mix, I didn't know him. So he was not the ragamuffin mix. I met him soon after that. And I had some other guys on the on the ragamuffin mix, the Malkit Singh ragamuffin mix. Yeah. Uh, but this, uh, if we can find him somehow, if anyone's listening to this show that can locate Cheshire Cat, because he probably doesn't even realize how much of a legend he is within the British Asian music scene, you know, because yeah. he was such like seminal classic tunes yeah. that he deserves a, a, a lot more recognition for me. He deserves an interview. I mean, someone should do an interview with him, like a visual interview, not we a can find him. Yeah, if we can I'm find the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and ask him all these questions about the scene and the 90s and stuff but yeah I, I i know recently he's been doing some other stuff as well and he's been working with some mainstream people and underground oh, stuff and, uh, i know he's out there doing ribs and drabs from what i've heard through the grapevine but i um i don't know exactly where he is right i mean he's still around obviously in birmingham yeah, of course, i'm pretty yeah. sure we we'll have to um, launch an appeal or something, you know, like a hotline yeah. or something. Where find, 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 Cheshire Cat. find Cheshire Cat. Hashtag <laughs> Twitter, find Cheshire Cat. And we should get this trending to see if we can yeah. try to find the guy and, and yeah. reconnect somehow and stuff and try yeah. to, you know, make some more classics. Why not? Um, so, okay, so this year has been really difficult, uh, you know, for everyone across the whole world. But for artists and for live events, it's been, you know, hugely um, when you say this year, you mean 2020? Well, so this past year, basically. So yeah, this yeah. since this time, literally exactly since this time last year till now, uh, we're obviously unprecedented times that we're currently living in. And I can imagine it must have had an impact on yourself in terms of any plans you had for potential tours <laughs> and music. But how, how has lockdown been for you? Um, has it actually been positive in terms of the creativity? Or has it been, uh, right, we'll have to just like wipe this slate clean and start afresh once life come back, gets back to any kind of normality? Well, I think like everybody else, really, um, it's had its ups and downs with me, really. I mean, it was no point sitting there and complaining. Um, I had to make the most of what I, what I can do. Um, yeah. I'm not used to spending so much time in Birmingham. I mean, I live here, but I don't spend time here. And um, since, yeah, it's almost a year now, um, and I've not been able to travel. I'm always abroad, India, Singapore. Um, I'm always traveling and yeah, I mean, I miss all of that thing right now, but obviously um, you've got to appreciate that, you know, just to be home and safe is the most important thing and spending time uh, with the family as well. But I think I also, the upside of it was that, yeah, I'd be, I was able to finish my new album, which is dropping very, very soon. And yep. the whole album is ready. And if I, I was abroad again, I probably would have been uh, delaying a few things, but the good thing was that I was getting all my ammunition together from the last couple of years anyway. So the songs were being recorded, dubbed from the last couple of years. So I was getting all this stuff anyway together. And it just means now I was, I was able to put the polish on the end tracks. And hence, you know, obviously we've just released a couple of the new singles from the album. And so Yeah, so let's let's been, talk about the new album. This is So we've heard some of the new tracks that have just come out. Kinna Jona, uh, I, I really yep. like the hip hop remix of that, especially. Um, yeah. And... And Bangra Jawan Hogaya, which that again, we're talking about that time period again of the that period of the nineties growing up around yeah. Southall. That took me right back to that period once again. Well, you see, judging by our conversation, now you hear why I went on that road again. Because yes. of course, I'm not sort of uh, I'm not going with what's happening right now again. Why would I? But I thought, okay, cool. I've done two retro type of tracks right now, which is one is a very, very typical 90s vibe and the video has a Bollywood feel to it. It's straight from a 90s sort of a, a time zone and it 
kind of just sits there. So when you hear it, it's an old school 90s Valley Stigu track, which sounds like those kind of uh, songs that were blasting, blaring at that time. The Pangara song, again, sounds like a 90s, even an 80s typical Punjabi yeah. Pangara song, which is from Star Crazy. This song sounds like it's track four on Star Crazy. It's Star Crazy, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and that's because it has that little vibe here. It's not too complicated. And I thought, we don't get too many songs like this today anyway. And I thought, well, well, you know, I want to do something on this kind of vibe, which is very typical old school, but it's like weddings, birthdays. And of course, when the party scene picks up, then you can enjoy it in a, in a proper atmosphere of a, of a club on a, you know, a wedding uh, and, you know, a public sort of a gathering when everyone can do some serious Bangladesh moves to it. So yeah. you can hear that sort of sound in there right now. And when it plays on the radio, of course, it sounds an old school vibe. And that's why I keep saying, those vibes are back, they're coming back, and a lot of people are going to be doing it. Bollywood will be taking note about what's happening right now as well. You watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, they pretty much always keep an eye on what's happening here in the UK and yeah. Canada in terms of musical trends. And you don't be surprised if you hear a, a Hindi-style version of Bhangra Jawan Hoge yeah, yeah. in one of these future <laughs> albums and stuff by Anu yeah. Malik or someone. <laughs> yeah, man, you never know. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it obviously, because at the end of the day, it's always about getting influences, vibing, getting some kind of a, you know, a, a fuel to, to light your passion, man. And so it, it means that somebody needs to think, okay, because when I did Churali, I was like, it's too slow, man. You can't dance this track. Indian people don't like too many slow tracks in a club because yeah. they get a bit confused, you know, like, oh, you don't dance this track, man. And I'm like, it took me time to say, let's, let's have some slow tempos. Nuri in a nightclub, are you unheard of? It's blast in a nightclub. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and Juralia, blares in a nightclub. When I... After the song was released in 94, I remember it was too slow. People were like, this song is too slow, man. I'm like, okay, fine. Really? Next month, next month later, it's blaring down the, exactly. the, the high street. Exactly. It's playing exactly. down everyone's sound system. It's blaring on everyone's you know, parties. And I'm like, there you go. You see, you can. You don't always need 128 BPM tracks that are blaring on, you know, it's like, exactly. oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and so my mellow tracks did get played in clubs. Nuri was getting played in a nightclub, you know, and Dil Gs. And I was like, there you go. Why? Because they have that bass. They have that yes. sort of, they have the, the, the ingredients to just sort of rock those subs, you know, and it's sounding nice. And you're like, whoa, that's what Western music is about, whether it's R&B or it's soul. You know, they don't always dance to up tempos, you know. You can have mid tempos and sort of chilled out tracks, just like reggae dancehall tracks have. So same now. I mean, when Kinna Jona plays, you can blare this in your in your car and it will still thump quite well. Um, and, and it still has that sort of sound behind it, even though it's a mellow track, it's 100 BPM. It's really just just there in the middle. And it just sort of just flows like it's nice. You can still wind to it. You can still move to it. And you can still relax to it, you know. Um, the Bhangra track is a typical uh, Desi song for Bhangra fans. If you don't like Bhangra, it's not your cup of tea. But, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. this song is made for the Bhangra fans because... I have so many people that are screaming at me like, hey, man, Bali, you got to do some more Bangra music like your Botala Sharabia. I'm like, I can't do Botala Sharabia again. But I understand what you're saying. You want some more Bangra music, yeah. Because they're like, when are you going to redo Churali? I'm like, 
Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you can never please honestly you literally can't please our community at all you know back then it's like you're not making any bhangra music you know, I mean, in, Michael, in Michael Jackson was now around now I don't think his fans are going to say hey Michael when are you going to do Billy Jean man <laughs> yeah, can you remake Thriller for us again you know it's like no what's going but, on but I mean there's nothing wrong with obviously if you're saying okay I know what you're trying to say but um, if I personally don't want to do something then I don't think I should even go down that road because yeah Absolutely. It's going to be hard to compete against myself uh, making that track <laughs> so at that true, moment in so time. True. And I know that. But I can do a different version of the song maybe. But I know immediately you're going to say, ah, but it's not the same as that version. See, before I've even switched my studio equipment on, you're going to say, ah, but it's not the same as that. That one sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> before you've even started it, you know, it's going to be a hard task to do. But I get that all the time anyway. But I mean, it's always going to be like that. You know, people are always, you know, Paji, you know, do another good night, or, you know. <laughs> you know, do another dill cheese. And I'm like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe we can do another dill cheese. You never know. <laughs> so what can people expect from, from the rest of the album in terms of forthcoming tracks and potential collaborations? I know you probably can't give too much away, but yeah. you know, what, what can people expect to hear? Well, I'm hoping as usual that there's someone for a different type of a track on the album. They're all different. They've all got a different sound to them. They've all got a different treatment. And, and the couple of my favorites, which I hope, you know, people are going to enjoy as well. But I've kind of like ticked all the boxes where I'm thinking, okay, I need to do a little bit of Bhangra. I need to do a bit of uh, mellow tracks and the epic sort of ballads that I love doing because I just love the mid-tempos like the Kidna Chonas. Kidna Chona was the first track of the album because it was perfect for Valentine's and Valentine was yeah. just around the corner for the release. And I thought, I'm not releasing Bhangra Juano again for Valentine's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And then we have a nice big video which we shot. And then I'm going to do the Bhangra Juano again, which is perfect for just the follow uh, the next single to the album and that's it now those two same songs are, are done and um the album now is uh, album was ready before Diwali actually but obviously I didn't want a 2020 stamp on my registrations I didn't I don't want to talk about that yet yeah, so of now it's like it's just there it's ready and now I'm about to confirm the release date and it's uh, I'm and it will be available on CD yes wow <laughs> wow amazing well, yeah. amazing that's, so that's... I mean why not? I mean, of course. And um, people are saying, Bali, no one's going to buy the CD. I'm like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, that's fine. And the ones who like collecting music, they'll keep it in their collection. Because if I like certain artists' music, man, I'll buy the CD as well and keep it in my collection because I have all of your CDs. And that's what's more important, really. And I think it's coming back in anyway. People are, you know, I mean, I hope albums come back in. I think it's good for artists to re release albums. And yeah, um, sure. I think we will start getting more albums coming through soon. I mean, you can't, rely on living the rest of your life by doing a single man how long are you going to do that for yeah so yeah. i think albums are the right road to go down but it also shows how much time and passion it, that you've put into it and obviously the rest is up to the public before they start screaming but i don't like that or oh, i like that i don't like that i don't like that. you're never going to please everyone you know what i'm saying but it's all good do what you feel that you enjoy man i mean for me it's always about i make music for myself first then I make music for the people to hear, you know, Whole and that's always been my, my rule. And yeah. if it's not going to be that case and I won't enjoy it because you're enjoying it, then how can I make it, man? So I need to be like, you know, it's like a chef in, it, in the kitchen. You're making something, you think this tastes nice, man. Then you're like, I hope you like the taste of this dish, man. So that's why it should be more important. You know, it's, um, so the album, it's got all these different vibes on there, I'm sure. There's something for everyone. Like my mom likes a certain type of a sound, so I've got something for my mom on the album. And then I've got <laughs> my uh, my mellow songs that I like and my friends like. 
my friends who have been jamming with me and who have been hearing my album for some time, they've all picked out their kind of a, like, this is my tune. And the other guy would Excellent. be like, no, that's my tune. And I, I really like that when someone says, no, actually, I don't like that one. I like this one. I'm like, wow, that's good because everyone's got different opinions. And that's what I like hearing, you know. Oh, I like track two. I like track four. I know I like track one. Or That's always brilliant when I hear that because I'm like, oh, okay, that's strange because they didn't say it or she didn't say that. She likes this one. And I'm like, that's exactly what I set out to do anyway. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's leaning on that kind of a sound and, you know, it's got that kind of vibe. And I think uh, there's some surprises on there as well. But I mean, I think, I think, you know, if you, if you like that kind of sound of mine, you, you should, you should dig it, man. And there's some good stuff on there. And I think there's some reggae on this one. And of course, man, why not? I've done some reggae as well. <laughs> there you go. Well, we very much look forward to the new album and hearing some more of the tracks coming out in the next few weeks and months. Uh, massive, it's massive. Weeks, not even months. It's not months. It's weeks. It's weeks. Oh wow. Okay, yeah, it's going to yeah. come out very, very soon. Around the corner, probably next week. I'll announce the when. It's oh really? Out, yeah. Okay. It's coming right. out the next. Yeah, yeah. Next couple of weeks. It's out. I mean, Amazing. I'm dying to tell you exactly the date. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not months, bro. It's like literally just yeah, very very you know. Just around the corner. In fact, it's just over there on the shelf. So. Even better. Well, that whets the appetite even more and the fact that we're getting our hands on it even sooner rather than later. And um, CD as well. And on, because I'm a CD collector myself, oh, and so this is going to work collection. right well for me. And then people think I'm, you know, I'm an old man, basically still buying CDs. No, but no. no. physical copies. Even I've got vinyls as well. So physical oh, yeah. copies of music is, uh, yeah. it's again, it's it's untouched basically. So I mean, I, I, well, well, can you imagine it? All the kids today, right? They're going to gather around with their friends and they're going to say, "Let's check out my music collection." Hold on, let me just get my MP3s on my phone a second. Exactly. Uh, right. Let's go through my music collection or. Let's go through my digital collection on my hard drive. <laughs> it's not no, the no, same. really the same it's thing, but I know same. that's how the wall works today. I know that's how people do to you know digest their music today. But but for me, there's nothing like putting the needle on the record, man. Oh, saying, check this out. And that sound, the whole building will shake with that It'll sound. And you, exactly. yeah. and you won't get that sound with the CD. So, but yeah, absolutely. Um the 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 hard copies of the record and the CDs and stuff, even cassettes, man. I mean, the retro cassettes. I mean, my daughter has never seen a cassette. When I showed her a cassette, she was like, what are the holes there for in the middle? Oh, my God. And I'm like, you know, this is what we what? record on. And there's a, there's two holes in the middle. And uh, even people that have never held a vinyl in their hand, they're like, it's quite heavy, isn't it? I'm like, Whoa. what is what, yeah. the youth today is something, honestly. Yeah, seriously. I mean, but you, you, but you know, like ghetto blasters, you know, not everybody yeah. has a ghetto blaster in the house. I mean, to me and you, it's like, it was like, like Second having nature. a TV in your house. Absolutely. Everyone had a TV in the house. Everyone had a ghetto blaster. Ghetto blaster. But but today, no. Everyone doesn't have a ghetto blaster in the house. <sighs> Seriously, we need to bring them back, buddy. So we need to find we need to find <laughs> Cheshire Cat, and we need to bring back ghetto <laughs> blasters. That's our that's our mission from the end of this interview. Whatever we yeah. can do to try to search through across the UK to bring yeah. these two big factions back into our lives. Yeah. I'm talking <laughs> with a twin cassette player gets a blaster. not the small little mono. No, no, no. It's going to be the big stereo. one. Yeah, absolutely. The twin cassette players with the equalizer, the graphic equalizer. Yes. Yeah, if you've seen the film Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee, Radio Rahim has got yeah, this massive yeah. ghetto blaster. And, you know, we all wanted these things like, as kids. Yeah, well, but then obviously absolutely. our parents would up getting like an Iowa hi-fi system from South <laughs> Market. Just, just to use instead. Yeah, and like yeah, that. Yeah. What, what is going on? That was a good time though, man. It's been a great time period. Okay, but yeah. if you could have a bonus track on this new album, which is a dream collaboration with any artist living or no longer with us, 
who would that be? Uh, well, I mean, for me, I've always, I mean, I've always said that there's one singer that I would have loved to work with, but I know she doesn't sing anymore. And I was Lata Mangeshkar. Oh, um, okay. Because nice. I would have loved to have got her voice in the studio. After working with Lusuf Adeli Khan, I'm like, you know, at that same point, I was saying, I would love Lata Mangeshkar to sing on one of my tracks. And this yeah. is in the 90s when she did sing. So I think after that, right, it's difficult for me to say now there's one singer really that's left that I really want to grace my mic. But I mean, for hands down, Gurdas Mansab. Uh, I would love to record one of his tracks. I've never worked with him. Um, oh, okay. You know, I would love to do a collaboration with definitely Gurdasman. That would be, I mean, we're friends. We meet up in Bombay. That's what I was going to say. I thought like, because you, you know, yes, probably mixing the same circles and stuff. Yes. So, you know. A lot of pictures. I mean, I've got, you know, we've sent, we've spoke, we've talked about quite a lot of things. And I'm like, maybe when the time is right now, maybe when things change now, and maybe when the world kind of like can move forward a bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would love for him to grace my microphone in my studio. Um, and anyone else really that can sing man even you if you can sing it doesn't matter man yeah well I'm a rapper and stuff so I've been making music for well, the last 15, 20 years so yeah we yeah, absolutely well, there, you go. <laughs> there you <laughs> go only only if I can get if we can get Cheshire Cat on the same track if you can get you and me and Cheshire Cat together, this would be the dream collaboration for me. <laughs> so well, believe we... in the magic of your dreams because they can come true, brother. <laughs> oh, heartily agree. Massive, massive thanks and salutes to you, Balisagu. Uh, not just for the music, obviously, you created to bridge together the two cultures that define our lives, the British culture and the Asian culture during that time period, but for continuing to set new landmarks and for representation of our community across the whole world. It's a, a massive pleasure for us getting you on our show. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a very enlightening conversation. Thank you so, so much. Anytime. Thanks for calling me, man. And I hope you do enjoy the new album, which is soon coming the new album will be out very, very soon. Make sure you all go out and support this project from one of the legends of the British Asian scene. That's it this week from the Native Immigrants. Thank you once again to you, Balisagu. Thank you, and thank you so much. Much respect, and we'll see you all again next week, people. Peace. <laughs>